Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the Gospel history according to St. Luke as recorded in chapter 14 verses 25 to 33. To remind you of that account, I will read the first three verses. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Large crowds are following Jesus. Then he turns around and seems to be telling them, Scram! He proclaimed strong, searching law. Why would he do that? Well, first, we must ask, why were the crowds following him that would make them say, stop and take a look at why you're following me? We know from the feeding of the 5,000, and recall that was just the 5,000 men that were counted. They didn't count the women and children. There were obviously them there that day. From one boy's lunch, well, that crowd then followed him the next day across the lake and, and, and wanted to force him to be their bread king. Come be our king. We want to sit around and have food provided for us. You can make it out of a boy's lunch. He said, I'm the bread of life. They didn't want to hear that part. Look at the disciples. And, and I love the disciples. They're smarter guys than I am. But even after his resurrection from the cross, they said, are you now going to build that kingdom and put that whooping on them there, Romans? John, one of my favorite disciples, and his brother James, their mother comes up to him and says, yeah, let them sit on your right and left in your kingdom. They knew he was the Messiah, but even they in their sinful nature, they had ideas of being chiefs in a kingdom that was going to be even larger than the Roman Empire. Just replace it. Be greater than it. And then there's that one disciple, Judas. We are given hints before the betrayal that Judas's God was money, stealing from the purse, that the, the, as he was the treasurer of the group. Yes, people have various reasons for following Jesus. And brothers and sisters in Christ, turn on, uh, there are some good television evangelists, so I don't want to bash them all, but turn on television and listen to how many of the really popular ones will tell you, when you follow Jesus, he's going he's to give you lots of wealth. Give to my ministry and he's going to get you out of debt. They offer you a Christ that, why wouldn't you follow this guy? Everything is going to be great and wonderful. Jesus turns to these crowds with searching laws and says, ask yourself why you're following me. Because there are going to be hardships. He's honest. Many people think this text proves my favorite bad theology to beat around. Decision theology. It does not. Jesus is talking to people who are already following him. He's telling them to count the cost. But in our sermon and in our text today, we see that the cross comes with discipleship. First of all, we're made disciples by Jesus' cross, by his death and resurrection. And then he promises us that when we follow him, there will be crosses. Now, you have heard me preach to you in the past about crosses we endure in this life, things like health financial problems, fear of job loss, and these sorts of things. And those are crosses, but that's not the kind of cross Jesus is talking about today. Those are crosses that even unbelievers endure, brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is talking about crosses that are direct 
and vigilant attacks from the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, specifically because we are Jesus' disciples and they want us to stop being his disciple. The cross comes with discipleship. And the very first place he tells us to stop and search out is with our family. He says those words that cut to the heart. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, it's not that Jesus is saying before you can come and be saved, you have to sit down and say, you know what? I hate my dear old dad. And he's not saying that everyone must always hate dear old dad and mom or brother and sister. The point that Jesus is making at, and he makes it with a very strong contrast, Nothing, no relationship is to have a place in your heart equal to or above the love you have for your Lord. Think about that. Oftentimes, though, this world will resent you for being a Christian. Jesus uses an example of human relationships in verse 31 when he says, Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? He'd better have a good strategy and some good soldiers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Because every soldier technically is statistically going to have to fight two soldiers. If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. How is it that human relationships can be a war like this where we are outnumbered? While studying to be a pastor in the very early years, one of my professors who had been a missionary in South America, I remember telling us that when he left that country in South America, there was a man who went with him all the way to the airport. This was before the days of 9-11 and pretty much was there to see him onto the plane. It's a wonderful story and a sad story. The man had been born and raised a Roman Catholic. And... The Roman Catholicism way of salvation is one in which you earn it, even still today. And this was a very, shall we say, conservative or traditional Roman Catholic area. And he had heard the gospel. He heard the good news that, no, purgatory doesn't exist, that you don't need purgatory. It's not about earning your forgiveness. God loves you and has freely given it to you. So he took classes and joined the church that taught him that truth and fed it with him. But as I said, this was a very traditional area for the Roman Catholic Church, and he was excommunicated. His family, his mother and father, his brothers and sisters, treated him as if he were dead, as if he were an enemy. And as my professor boarded the plane to leave his years of missionary service over, he'd accepted another call. The man said, don't worry about me. I'll be fine. Thank you. Thank you for bringing the good news of salvation to me. In the world's eyes, my professor who God used to bring the word of salvation had ruined that man's life. That's not how that man viewed it. He had counted the costs upon becoming a disciple. When when he was threatened with excommunication, he did not. He sat down and said, this is a two-to-one battle. It was more than that. My mother, my father, my brothers and sisters, they're going to hate me. But he knew he would win the victory. 
He knew the victory had already been won. He knew his Lord has already defeated the devil and the world and his own sinful nature. And he knew something else, something you also have. He had gained a new family. For by the faith the Holy Spirit gave him, Jesus is not just his God, Jesus is his heavenly brother. God is not an angry God who is angry at him for his sin any longer. God is his dear heavenly daddy. Count the cost because you have been taken from the devil. In our natural condition, the world doesn't want you to believe this, neither does the devil. You are a slave to the devil. Christ loves you. His cross busted the chains of your slavery and made you God's child. But the devil wants you back. And do not kid yourself, he will use your worldly relationships to get you back. I have counseled Christians who have come to me where they're marrying a spouse who sometimes is even a Christian, but a Christian to a very work-righteous church, a church that is devoid of grace. And what do they hear? If you love me, you will join my church. A supposed-to-be Christian just said, if you love me, you'll let your relationship to me be better than God. And that is a situation just as the previous one where Jesus says, you must hate and despise that person. The point that he's making isn't that we go off and want to beat that person or throw him in jail. It's we love God. He is first and foremost. And if somebody's going to get in the way, we will say, get thee behind me, Satan. But as I've said, we count up the cost. And the truth of the matter is, being God's disciple is a wonderful thing. Your top relationship is with the Lord. But look to your left and right. Look behind you, look in front of you. God is not just your heavenly daddy, which is all we need. Jesus is not just your brother, which is all we need. He's given you family, brothers and sisters in Christ. In the 10 years I've served as a, as a pastor, I have often marveled at how well these relationships work. I've often marveled how when somebody uh, has a, a life-threatening illness where they end up in the hospital, yes, their children love them. Yes, their brothers and sisters love them. And it's not always the case, but lots of times the ones who's there showing them the most love are the people that sit next to them in the pew on Sunday morning. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, the devil and the world are in your own sinful nature will use relationships to try to get you to forsake your relationship with the Lord. And that is a cross. You'll be hated for being a Christian. And yet, don't kid yourself. The two-to-one odds are great because Jesus has already won. And he's given you a new family, a family that will last forever. There is something about the idea that salvation is a free gift. And by default, therefore, we have to admit that we cannot save ourselves. We're sinners. We need a savior that the world hates. This is where Christianity, when it is truly taught according to the scripture, stands out. No, no other religion simply hands you salvation. God won it for you. You don't earn it. He earned it for you. And this is what truly frees you from the devil. All the other religions truly are slavery to the devil who just says, earn it yourself. But the problem is sometimes the conscience says, have I earned it enough? The problem is the truth is we can't earn it. And the world offers us many different gains to try to sidetrack us. 
Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays a foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. So I have a friend who lives outside the outskirts of one of the larger, although not the largest, towns here. And from the very first time I went out to my friend's place, a landmarker was... When you get to the point where a guy started a two-story pole barn, the structure's up and he never did anything else, go about another block and turn. Okay? That was 20 years ago. That is still a landmarker today. And I often laugh to myself when I see this pole barn, if he would buy one panel every other month and put it on, that barn would be finished. I don't know the man. I don't, so don't take me as judging. But that 20 years, and it might have been up even longer than that, that's as long as I've known this pole barn structure to be there. It says this guy's lazy. This guy is not coordinated in planning. And that's what the world wants to do. It wants to lull you with the world's easiness. It wants to lull you with the world's things. Isn't it easy to look at government as the solution of our problems? We just got to elect the right politicians and enact the right kind of government, the right laws and restrictions, and oh, we'll finally have all of our problems solved. There'll be peace on earth and there won't be poor and we can all be rich. Oh, rich. That's one of the world's big distractions, isn't it? If I just had enough money... If I just had enough money, I wouldn't have to deal with these vehicles breaking down. If I just had enough money, I could afford the doctors to deal with my health issues. If I just had enough money, I wouldn't have to worry about my retirement account. If I just had it, whoa, eh. the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, the Apostle Paul tells us. And don't kid yourself, the world, it's its lie that the devil uses, he slides it onto us. You don't need God, you need money. Doesn't our sinful nature sometimes, when that offering plate come around, say, mm, think of the places this could have gone? The world lies to us. It has its ways of deceiving us. It has its ways of turning us to look to ourselves or to others. We've already mentioned relationships. Count up the cost, brothers and sisters in Christ. But realize something that you do realize when you're reckoning, when you're figuring out the books. This world is designed, when you become a Christian, the devil doesn't work on unbelievers. He's got them. He doesn't bother putting extra effort in on the Mormon or the Muslim or the Buddhist or the Hinduist. He's got them. They're looking to themselves for salvation in one way or another. The devil works hard on you because Christ has grabbed you and said, you can't have this one. And so like a child who might not have even wanted the toy, the devil says, mines, mines, mines. And he will not stop to get you back and you will not stand up against it because his ace in the hole is not just the world, it's your sinful nature. But know something that your new man knows. Everything the devil has to tempt you with in this world, it's going to be destroyed. Judgment day. Christ comes. Boom. Done. Gone. No more sin. Devil is cast forever in hell. He doesn't get to go anywhere else. Done. Sinful nature destroyed. But the new man, the new man that Christ has sent the Holy Spirit to make in your heart, he's going to get paradise. The new heavens and the new earth. And Revelation tells us they'll be one in the same. For the throne of God will be in our midst. Oh, yes. 
And we can use health issues and concerns about our body. That's what the devil uses. That's what our sinful nature uses to distract us. But we know something else. After this world is destroyed and made anew, oh yeah, that body, you're getting a glorified body. How wonderful. Sit down and count the cost because recognize in this life your sinful nature is going to kick and scream all the time. The devil's using it. The world is going to present its challenges but the, because the cross comes with discipleship because nothing in this world compares to salvation. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, you can go through your life and you can see the ways relationships have said, how dare you? And isn't it easy? Isn't it? In this world, as we continue to excuse away more sins and political correctness, tells us that if you love your family member, you won't say what you're doing is, is morally wrong and it, and it is going to impact your relationship with God. Isn't it easy to ignore it and not be hated? But if we love them... It's like a parent whose child runs out to a busy freeway. We're not going to say, oh, I love you. You go on out there. We will stop. We will stop them if we can. We will tell them the danger. Because we don't, like that child, want to see them end up splattered on the grill of a semi. In this case, the semi is the devil. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, we do rejoice. God's love is in us. Yes, the cross comes with discipleship. But then we look at those crosses and say, oh... That reminds me, I am God's disciple. The devil must truly hate me and he would only do that if I was God's disciple. And we rejoice. We may lose relationships in this world, but we happily lose them, although we don't euphorically. It's tough, but we're able to endure that and be thankful because your top relationship is with the Lord and he has made us family. We have a new family. And yes, the world will offer you its many things to distract you, but you're able to say, no, take the world, but give me Jesus, because nothing in this world compares to salvation. Praise be to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now may the peace which transcends all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.